Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and welcome to episode 89. I am joined with my two esteemed co-hosts. First up, Tibbin slash Miss Tiffany B. Hello. I'm still not sure what name we settled on, but I'll go with that. And also with us, the European jet setter himself, it's Dan. Ladies. Dan, how's life? It's good. Welcome back. Well, welcome back to the show. You are no longer in America anymore. I'm back home in Copenhagen. Uh, We let our listeners know about halfway through the show we forgot to tell them why you weren't here. You were off gallivanting around right after Gen Con. You have not really stopped moving since Gen Con, right? I went uh, from Gen Con literally the same day uh, right to France where I spent longer than expected. But uh, I spent about a week in the the Riviera, um, at which point Elsa had to go work in uh, Leiden, Netherlands, which is just south of Amsterdam. Nice little country. I went with her, and we hung out there for four or five days, and then I came back to Copenhagen. Pretty crazy. You had the opportunity to basically live a Euro game. Did you put any alcohol into barrels? Did you shave any sheep? Did you cut up any cows? Uh, no. I sat on the beach, I drank wine, and I walked around really old cities. How brown was it? The south of France is not brown at all. It's very bright. Blue water. Tiff, how brown is Ohio? Oh, it's not very brown right now. It's very green, the way I like it. So no one's living a Euro life at the moment. No. Not an accurate portrayal, at least. Can we talk about games? Let's do it. Dan is back from Gen Con, so let's hear a little bit about what he got into, and let's hear more about what Tiff got into, which we chatted about a little bit last time. We don't have to hear about any art this episode. Although you did post another picture, Tiff, of your robot ice cream. Yeah. So if anybody wants to see what we were speaking of last episode, they can go check out Twitter, if you're still there. I'm still there. Still hanging on by thread. All right. Well, Tiff, you mentioned that some of the games remaining were games that you and Dan played together. So let's get a game that you guys played together and hear what you thought about it. I think this is the first game I played at Gen Con, and it was Decrypto. Yeah, I like Decrypto. I did not like Decrypto. <laughs> but if uh, it, it uses that, what do they call that? That red filter thing? I know what you're talking about. That's the re- You put the red in front of it and the things appear. That's the basis of the game, right? You had two teams. Uh, I guess you could play anywhere from four players to, I don't know, whatever, eight. I think up to eight. Sure, that sounds good. And each team is given these four cards that have a secret word on them and you slide them into the little decrypto board thing which has that red and blue mystery letter reveal thing that tiff was just talking about and then what's gonna happen is and it was a little confusing at first i'm not gonna lie i was like i was super confused and then when i thought i understood the game i was actually playing like this super advanced version that was way too hard for the game <laughs> Then I brought it back, and then I was like, okay, I got this. So what happens is each team uh, has these four words, and it's it's played out in, like, two phases. The first one is played, like, within your team, and then the second one is played against uh, the other team, kind of. Um, so what happens in the first phase is one player on the team is going to look at the four words, and he's going to draw a card. And this card has a decryption uh, code on it. And I believe that it was three three numbers, which correspond in some order to the four three of the four words that you have on your team. And what happens then is the person that is currently whose turn it is on each team is going to try and think of a single word to get their team to guess the order of the words that are on the card that they drew. Right. So let's say I had uh, balloon, dog, kite, and astronaut, and I drew my card, and it was. Three, two, one. So I had kite, dog, balloon, or however. I don't even remember the order I just said them in. 
So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, number one, give clues using a single word to my team so that they can guess that order, um, three, two, one, using the words that they have readily available in front of them too, okay? So that's step one. If you get that, your team is fine. If you don't, you lose a point. And first one to lose two points, I think it was, loses the game. But the trick is, afterwards in phase two, you're going to reveal to the other team the different words that you gave as clues and they're going to try and guess your encryption code based on the knowledge that they have um it's it's a little confusing to explain without the game in front of me and for listeners i'm it's sure it's confusing to explain with the game in front of you <laughs> it is it took it took like two rounds for me to get it um but but ultimately by the time i got it the game was nearly over well i mean you were playing against a superior team so <laughs> Listen, <laughs> uh, my teammate was Dan Patrice, and his brain and my brain don't exactly work the same. So the clues that he was giving for my words, for our words, were they were obtuse. Chris, Chris and I synced up. I, w- I was playing with Chris Kirkman, and I was a little nervous at first because he's 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 got a lot of super obscure reference knowledge in his head, um, and I was worried that I wouldn't be able to keep pace. Um, with some of the clues, but we, we kind of came up with a system whereby we were able to play off of each other's previous clues um, in a way that was vague enough that you guys might not be able to get it, but he and I could easily get you know our internal uh, clue giving so that we didn't lose points that way. So we, we kind of synced up around like round two or three once I figured the game out, which was fun. But again, ultimately you're trying to like be vague enough so that the other team can't guess your, your decryption code. Um, but your team can. Um, and at the end, what we did was we tried based on what you're going to do is you're going to write all these different words in four columns on your little player sheet so that you have the the previous clues that have been given so that you can kind of understand how you want to decrypt the message uh, based on the words that were given that round. But at the end, which was super fun and the way I was actually playing the game the first two rounds was <laughs> we tried to actually guess the specific word, which is not the game. You're just trying to you're just trying to decrypt the order of the clues, basically. Um, but at the end, we guessed, I think we guessed like two or three of your four words exactly, which was was pretty fun. That's not the game. That's just kind of like the <laughs> bonus round. Um, but it was still fun to do. Yeah. So overall, I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. Um, it's right up there, I think, on par with like code names as far as the like how you have to give clues in such a way that is vague yet specific um, if that makes sense um, yes i would say this is a little harder to teach than code names um so i think the the learning curve is, is slightly higher but once it once it clicks you're fine but again if you're going to be playing this with new groups over and over and over again just be prepared to have to really find a good way to explain it because it could be a little bit confusing. Yeah. If you want a real, a much more complicated version of code names that has a neat gimmick, this is a great game for you. That's. It sounds like it also has a little bit of monikers in it with the reuse of clues. I haven't played monikers, but, you know. I don't know. That might be a stretch. Monikers is a party game where you're trying to get people to guess words, but you use the same words over and over again. So you build a, there's a learning aspect to it where and memory. Where it's like, oh, okay, I've seen this clue before. And it sounds like there could be something. Yeah, you're building up a list of clues as you go. And like you play through, I don't know how many rounds we played through. Like you have, you play until you either get two like good tokens for guessing the other team's code or you get two, or a team gets two bla- bad tokens for not guessing their own correctly or something like that. But in any 
any case. That is correct. Okay. Yay. <laughs> I remembered a thing, and it's been weeks. You should be proud of me. Uh, it's been like a week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, no, it was fine. I I don't think it's a codenames killer, but I think it's 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 a very good party game. If But you need minimum four. I think there's a variant where you can play with three, where one person plays as like an in-between. Um, but that sounds kind of lame. So minimum four players. So yeah, it's up to you. I like codenames duet. Codenames is a tough one to trump. I think that is proving time and time again that it will stand the test of time. No, but this is a good one from Yellow. Yellow's kind of fallen flat for me the last few months to a year. So it was nice to see something that came out um, from them that I liked. Other than Arena for the I Gods. I mean, they came out with Bunny Kingdom. So. They did. Uh, too, well, that was a year ago. So that was last <laughs> yep. August. And Bunny Kingdom's great. The Cherry Tree game's not terrible. Um, it looks overpriced. <laughs> it, I mean, it's twenty four dollars. Just kidding. That's not. That's not awful. But anyway, people have been joking with me that I'm caught up on the price of games. I'm, I'm just. I'm still in shock at how quickly they've risen. But that's just me. Did you see? I saw a tweet. I think it was uh, the other Tiffany put out, and it was kind of like a poll. Like, do you want publishers, designers, and artists to be paid a fair wage, or do you want cheap games? And those were your two options. Yeah, because it's it's that black and white. And that made me sad. <laughs> I was like, mm, both. Is that implying that for all of the years before now that everyone was paid an unfair wage? I don't know. That's a legitimate question for me. I'm not a designer or an artist or anything, but my guess is they don't get paid enough for the work they put into it. Especially, like, think about how much goes into designing a game. I mean, Dan's learned that, right? Mm. It's like hours now. But... Sure. So Tiff is a teacher. How do you feel? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Got a societal problem here. But anyway, moving forward, Dan, we talked about Blue Lagoon last week. Uh, our last episode and Tiff gave some of her thoughts she also explained the game very well good job Tiff did I so you don't have to go into how it works but we wanted to know what your opinions of it were since you also got to play it Uh, I like Blue Lagoon I liked it a lot but I don't think it will play well at the lower counts I think three would work I think four is where it would probably shine as far as the the interaction two I wouldn't even probably play that to be honest with you i don't think it's a i don't think it would be a good two-player game i mean speaking of price i mean that game is priced perfectly it's 30 bucks it's really pretty uh solid components even though it's not much it's just some wooden resources and cardboard which is good yeah i liked it i mean if you're a fan of like through the desert and you can handle some meanness i mean the game is pretty brutal I wouldn't let the, the cute exterior fool you. That game can, can punch you in the wiener. I liked it. I thought it was yeah. good, but I, I, I think it's I think you need a I think you need a full suite of players for it though. To really gotcha. to really shine. Um, but I can't say for certain. That's just a kind of a gut feel. I think three and four would work. I don't I don't know about two. I played it at yeah. three and that seemed to work. I think three would work just fine. Four again it gets the board gets a little more uh, crowded. Um, I think you take out some pieces. Um, the more players you have as far as the number that you can put out on the board but i thought four was fun because you're getting in each other's ways there's no kind of oh this guy's off on his own by himself kind of thing it was always kind of interactive and um you know fun to kind of work against the other three players so yeah i thought it was i thought it was a good game okay it's up there on the hotness i believe well it's a canizia yeah he's a cold-blooded calculator he is (laughs) yeah speaking of meanness his other 
game that was reprinted. What is it? The Yanks, Yanksy River one, which basically took Tigers and Euphrates. Oh, is that what that is? Yep. It's basically Tigers and Euphrates, but changed slightly. But that game is mean. I, I'll play it on the app. I don't want to, I don't like playing with people. I'd rather just play with the app. That one's a hard one to teach too, I found. There's a lot of little things to go through. That was out at Gen Con? Yep. That's from Osprey. I saw that and I didn't realize that that was just a, a remake of that game. So I don't I don't know that it's that a I mean. full on remake of it, but I believe it mm-hmm. is heavily influenced by it in many of its mechanisms. Blue Lagoon is it's number two on the buzz underneath Scarabia. Yeah, Scarabia's gonna win Kenner's or Spielzars. That's Is it? Yeah. That's just <laughs> that's as uh, as Riddle was calling it, Spielbait. Like it's basically a game made for that award. Really? Yeah. In what in what sense? Uh, you can teach it in teach it in two minutes, play it in less than fifteen. Uh, some decent puzzliness to it. Uh, super simple mechanically. Looks pretty. It's priced at like thirty bucks again. Blue orange is like killing it in their price ranges. But yeah, I played it eight times at Gen Con. Jeez. Well, it's just one of those games you can literally just when you're waiting for someone to finish a game, you pull it out, you teach it, and like you're done. It got to the point where we were like, we were able to almost give ourselves handicap scores because we had played it and averaged out in over eight games already. My average score was 42. I hit 42 four times, I think, out of eight plays. <laughs> so it's basically, um, so each player has this, this frame and within it, you're going to put uh, four uh, tiles. Each tile has an, a grid on it with some openings and some scarabs on them. Um, one person, similar to like something like Karuba, one person is going to organize their four squares in their frame. Everyone else is going to follow so that they have the exact same layout. And then what you do, all you do is you simply, one player flips over a card. On that card is a, a piece, a shape, so a polyamino. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has the same shapes. Um, and in the deck, there's one card for each shape. So you're going to place each shape within the game. And then basically you're just building out your board, starting from the center and then it kind of diverges like a similar to a Karuba where everyone's kind of working on the same thing, but how they do it is different. Uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to enclose scarabs in areas of one, two, three, or four spaces. Anything over four does not count as an enclosure. So basically you're trying to place your polyominoes so that you're literally surrounding these scarabs. Every scarab that is surrounded is worth the number of points equal to the, the enclosure size. So if I if I had two scarabs within three spaces enclosed, fully enclosed, using both the polyominoes as well as these little rocks that count as borders um, on your board, um, then each of those scarabs would be worth three points. I take a little token, I put it on the scarab that says three at the end of the game. Um, everyone adds up the number of points they scored, and whoever has the most wins. It's as simple as that. Hmm. Um, there's like literally the rules are a page, if that. So yeah, it's super simple. I, I liked it. I'm not gonna lie, I probably I'd play it, but I'm kind of bored of it now just because I played it so much. I played it um, three times and I never have to play it again. Is how I feel about it. I did not like it. Really? I see. I liked it. I thought it was good. I mean, it's it's spatial reasoning based, which is generally something I am not a fan of because I'm not great at it. Like your average score is what did you say, forty two? Mine's in the twenties, probably. Yeah, no, it was. I can see it. if you're not a spatial reasoning person, no way. No, that's not not for you at all. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, what was it, Cathala and Montblanc. Yeah, dynamic duo. Yeah, your, your scores are going to range. But again, as, as people start to, you always build out from the center, which we played it wrong the first two games. We, like, just let anyone start from wherever on the board, which I actually liked better because then you could kind of do different things other than the, the way you're supposed to play in the rule book, I believe, was your first piece has to be touching in some way one of the center four spaces. 
which is fine. But I, I just thought that placing it anywhere was just, it gave a little more variety. It was more fun. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the reasoning for it. I didn't really concern myself with it, but yeah. I could just see this, like, if I taught this to board game club, they would all end up with the same board at the end. Because they would not be able to not look at each other's boards. Like, that's the premise of the game is you have to just pretend. Like Karuba. Yeah, yeah. And I don't yeah. think that my kids would do well with that. They would be so concerned with not losing that they would cheat. <laughs> I mean, it's the kind of game where I would play. I don't know that I have to own it. It's good filler for, like like you said, when you're waiting around for someone to finish up. It's good filler. Yeah. I'd rather have it over, like, something like another one of those games, like King Domino, which won Spiel. Um, I'd rather have that. It's a mediocre game. It's just not exciting. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> liked it, but I just, I don't know. It was boring to me. Again, number one on the hotness. I don't, I, see, I'm, I don't know how you get bored with it be, other than playing. It's like, the same thing. There's nothing, like, there's no variance in it. Like, ooh, the the order of the pieces and, oh, when is that really crappy piece going to come out? That's what you have to really look forward to. Yeah, it was missing something like a like Karuba where like you had the decision to discard the tile for a benefit. Like it didn't have that extra layer. Um, it's basically place the piece. If you can't place it, you discard it, kind of thing. So like it doesn't um, feel good to do that. Like there's there should be something else. I don't know. For me, it was meh. Sure, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I don't. I don't love it, but I, I like it. All right. Well, let's chat about something else then. Was there anything you did love, Dan? I don't think I loved anything. Talk about gizmos. Gizmos. I could talk about gizmos. I didn't love gizmos, but I I thought it was solid. Um, I was following your tweets and I was like, oh, it seems like Dan didn't think it was stupendous. You had like a multiple play thing, right? Where first play wasn't great. and First play wasn't great, which is, you know, con setting players involved. Like there's just distractions and it was, I was teaching it. I was learning at the same time. Um, So, you know. And again, this game, Gizmos, for those who don't know, is like a like an introduction to kind of combo building almost. It's a it's a very light uh, game from Phil Walker Harding, who I, I really like as a designer, um, just for his kind of like simplistic mechanics and things like that. Um, it's from Simon, so they put marbles in it. Um, basically, the marbles act as your resources, and they come out randomly from a little chute. Um, and you're spending these marbles to build gizmos into your tableau, um, which will then, uh, based on the action you've taken, trigger other gizmos in that action row, basically. So you have a little player board with uh, six slots. Four of them are actions. Two of them are just straight upgrades, um, which allow you to collect more marbles or hold more marbles um, or look at more cards and things like that. And then the four actions are what you're going to pick one of those on your turn. Whatever action you pick on your turn, you will trigger all the gizmos in that row to, to kind of activate. So my, my biggest problem with the game was it's a bit of a slow start. Um, they don't hot start you with anything. They just give you this one standard uh, gizmo in your file action, which everyone starts with the same one. So basically the first two to three turns, everyone's doing the exact same thing. The only difference being what either color marble you'll pick, you're picking or which gizmo you're picking, which is different in its own right, right? You'll start your path in a different way that way. But again, I think they could have just started you with a, either a quick draft or give someone this, that, like maybe start you with a marble, things like that, um, just to kind of pick it up. But it, it I escalates think that would be pretty easy quickly. enough to just do. And we should also mention that the turns are insanely fast. Like the first two, three turns if you're all paying attention, wouldn't take that long in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So you could literally throw in an extra step to set up and it'd be the same as doing the first yeah. three turns. 
Um, but it does escalate pretty quickly once you get... So you're going to play until one person has built uh, four level three gizmos or has built 16 total in their tableau. And so, like, again, you can, you can upgrade your pick action, which is allowing you to pick marbles and... What's what's interesting is the, the the way these things trigger is like if I if I take a build action and I build a yellow building and I have a, a gizmo that says for every yellow building I build, I get a free pick action. And then if I take the pick action and I picked a blue marble and I have something in my pick action row, the gizmo that if I pick a blue marble I get to pick a random marble. Like you can combo these things in in, in fun ways. So there is fun there. It's just getting to it. So it's you know halfway into the game, it starts to really escalate, and the combos start triggering, and it becomes a little more interesting. Um, I would like to see in a little more variety in the the gizmos. They're basically all you know in level one, two, or three. They're all like four or five of the same actions, just with different colors. Um, but again, that's something that probably could easily be expanded upon in future. I think there's a lot of room for some expansion, but. As it is, it's a very simple, straightforward game. Like Tiff said, your actions are super quick. Um, just, you know, to give you some contrast, our first play, which was a learning game, and, you know, people at the table were just, you know, having, you know, conversations, and we're all just having a good time, you know, con stuff. That took us almost an hour and a half. When we sat down and we played it again with three instead of four players and actually focusing on the game, it took us 32 minutes. I timed it. So mm. you can play this game super quick um, if you're playing the game, you know, at your house or whatever. So, yeah, I don't... I want to play it again. I actually... Um, I mean, I sold I sold my copy to Copac. I, I was able to get in early and get one. Um, but I realized it's, it's not something I have room in my luggage for. So rather than it sitting at my mom's house with my collection, Copac really wanted it. So I said, here, bud, you can have it, you know, just give me what I paid for it. And it's yours to kind of thing. So, you know, he'll get more use out of it in the next six months than I will. So, um, but I, I would play it. I, do I want to own it again? Not sure, but I, I'd gladly play it again. I'm definitely going to hmm. pick this one up for board game club. I think it's like, it has that dais kind of feel, but not as complicated. Yeah, no, that's a good example. That's a good one. It's like dumbed down dais. <laughs> it's baby dais. I feel like a lot of the games I played at Chen Con were like simpler versions of things that I like. You're getting a lot of like derivative games now. I mean, in a space where True. You know, so many games are coming out. It's just... And Phil Walker Harden, to be honest, he, he does take a lot from other games and scoring and mechanisms and things like that. But he's able to bring it together and such a nice simplistic package that's usually pretty damn good for family gamers cacao gizmo seemed to be a game that was on everybody's list going in and then not on a lot of people's lists coming out did people just not have access to play it or like were there limited copies or was it just not as great as everyone thought it might be yeah it was limited simon not a big fan of their company the two games i wanted most were simon games so shame on me for wanting them but uh, Gizmos was li- limited to 100 a day, so 400 copies for the 60,000 people that were there. And the other one I want, Newton, was limited to 30 copies a day. Yeah. What is the reason for well, that? Well, and the other, th- to add on to that, I wanted Railroad Inc., and they had, I think, 50 copies a day of that one. Like, I could understand with the board game production process, one of those games, them not having a bunch of because of time schedules getting off and things like that. But to have like all of your hot games be so limited at the biggest convention of the year seems like I'm just speculating a little manufactured demand. Uh, I can't understand the reason why they wouldn't want to sell all of their copies. 
it builds the hype. Like, you get people beezed up for it, and then when it does release, everybody's like, ah, gotta get it. But what I saw, what, like, I didn't see Railroad Inc. Anybody talking about it? I didn't see anybody I didn't I had had talking about Newton. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is, like, if not, a, like, the density wasn't high enough for there to be buzz because nobody got copies to talk about. Well, it's the whole age-old mystery of, you know, timing, factory delays, whatever. Um, it seems I, to happen yeah. a lot. Like, I I don't know, and I'm not in, like, board game publishing, but surely there has to be a way <laughs> to avoid this problem every year. Or at least for one of your hot games, avoid this it problem. It seems to be voluntary. Well, get some business sense. That's my thing, but... <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be voluntary in my mind. Yeah, I don't know. People are choosing to release the game this way. Like, I understand, like, Deepwater at Origins, they had all kinds of production issues, and that's why they limited uh, Welcome to... But this is Simon we're talking about. Yeah, I don't want to make accusations, but that sure is what it feels like when you have all of your hot games be so limited. But I don't know. I mean, it gets people into the booth, too. I get that. So maybe, like, they're disappointed. Yeah, and then people walk yeah, away. They'll come in, they'll be disappointed, and then they'll pick up one of their other crappy games. But... <laughs> Simon's got some okay games. See, it has the opposite effect on me. I'm like, you don't have what I want? I'll never buy what you have. Yeah. No, I walked right out. I got gizmos and left. What uh, what else did you guys see or demo? Not necessarily something that you bought and played, but was there anything cool that maybe you weren't expecting or that you got roped into? Like anything like that? Um, if there wasn't, we can just talk about what you played. But I just wasn't sure if there was anything like hot going around the convention. I, I played like... 15 games of uh where words what is that well i have a feeling that's got to be from bezier is that from bezier it's the one that was so controversial because they kind of took the 20 questions part from that what was that game called from oink uh something with an eye insider oh yeah yeah so this one interesting so basically it's like one person well, it's a Bezier, so it's got the app integration. So everyone closes their eyes. One person is given, so, at least in the base game, there's a bunch of roles, again, like a Bezier game. One person is the mayor. One one person is the mayor. Another person is a werewolf. Another person is a seer. And everyone else is just plain old villagers, right? And this probably changes based on player count, but this is what we had. So what happens is everyone closes their eyes. The mayor opens his eyes when the app instructs and selects a word from the words given on the screen. He then looks at it. Then closes his eyes. Then the seer gets to look at it so they can look and see it. And then the werewolf, I believe, got to look at it too. I don't know. I was never the werewolf. I forget. Um, so you've got this information. So everyone, once that's done, everyone opens their eyes. And you've got these tokens, which are like, you got like 40 of them, which is the number of questions you can ask to the mayor. Um, and they have to be yes or no questions. So if I pick the word dog and tiff says is it a household item i could say yes no or maybe right and then there's also another token that if you're super close i can give you that one so if i if i pick dog and tiff said is it an animal i would give her a to i would just slap a token in front of her that said check like yes so i can't speak so they're trying to get down to the word that i'm i'm secretly in not knowing the twist is obviously the werewolf knows the word, I think, and the seer knows the word. So the seer is trying not to get caught by the werewolf, and the werewolf is trying, obviously, to get derailed by the villagers. So you're trying to ask questions, you know, as the seer, I guess, number one, you're trying to ask questions that don't really get to the, the word right away, because you know it. So I know it's dog, so I'm not going to say, is it man's best friend? You know what I mean? Like, that's my first question. I'm going to let the group 
kind of build up to it. Maybe I could chime in here or there. I want to kind of just fade into the game. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And the werewolf is trying to do the opposite. He's trying to derail the questioning. So, you know, is it man's best friend? And then I'd say, well, is it a, you know, is it a feline or something? So I could try and take the conversation in a whole other direction. But again, I'm trying to do that um, uh, subtly, I guess would be the word I'd say. So at the end of the timer, I think it's four minutes or something like that. The um, If the word was guessed, I believe the werewolf gets the... I forget the ending. I'm sorry. I, I completely forgot it. It was a very late night game. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was pretty silly. Huh. Um, I, I'm not a big Bezier Games fan at all, but I I enjoyed this for for a party game. Like I said, we played it like must have been 15 20 times just it's so quick Mm -hmm. we were just sitting around goofing off we tried some of the other roles which are funny um there was one where like i forget who it was uh, what the role's name was but they they were able to tap the person on their left or right on the shoulder so you knew that person had some information um and it was riddle got it in one game (laughs) i was sitting across from him and he decided he was going to reach across the table and punch me but as he did it, he just basically almost fell on the table and just made all this noise. Jeez. And all of a sudden, I hear Ben, who was sitting next to me, just cracking up because he knew it was it was Riddle because he could just, it was it was pretty funny. Uh, just a small story, but got a real big kick out of that. So, you know, again, group dependent, probably. Funny, funny game. I liked it. I played, I also played Insider and I, I think I liked this version better. To be honest with you, oh, really? it was a little more structured. Um, yeah, and obviously the app is always pretty well done in those games. So I like that. I like having the moderator like that. Tiff Bezier is having a promotion where you can get Werewoods, Werewords, and One Night Ultimate Werewolf for free if you have a board game club. Oh, so, so I could get two games that I don't want to play for free. <laughs> I mean, Dan said this was fun. Your yeah. kids might have fun with Werewords. It's it's basically like my kids love twenty questions. They can play. Yeah. They can introduce their families to those. <laughs> yeah, just saying. Right. And I think it's cool that they're supporting board game clubs. That's fun. That too. is cool. I'm not. I'm not uh, ragging on that. But I don't know. I I already have One Night Ultimate Werewolf, and I don't know. I'm trying to get my kids into more <laughs> strategy games right now. Yes, I, I don't want to infect to... the pool with social games. <laughs> Tiff is making a, a Euro bend, Dan. She's not doing RPGs this time. I'm trying anyway. We'll see what ends up happening. I had, th- this past week was our first week of school, and I mentioned Board Game Club to my sixth graders, and they seemed excited. Mm-hmm. So we Ooh. we might have a bunch of sixth graders, which scares me a little bit. But Looks like you will be buying Megaland. <laughs> yeah, probably. Nice. All right. Well, what... Um... I'm looking through, I was like following Dan's tweets and seeing some different things. Dan, you played a bunch of like little weird things, um, like Tower of Madness. Yep. Yeah, I want to hear about that, Tower of Madness. Kerplunk. Is that all it is? Like, is there more to it than that or what? It's got some additional kind of structure around it mechanically. Um, how to describe Tower of Madness? Um, so there's a tower with these little tentacles that come out of it, kind of like Kerplunk. They're the sticks. Uh, you drop a bunch of marbles into the top. The marbles are um, color-coded. Um, I believe they're insanity, spells, and I forget what the, the last one was, discoveries or something like that. Each of those does a different thing. Um, so basically what you'll do on your turn is roll the five dice, and you're trying to, um, at least in kind of the base version, you're trying to get um, one, two, and three, which are like three different... Cthulhu things. I don't know enough about Cthulhu to tell you the theme stuff behind it. 
And then, so you hit one, two, and three, which is your investigation. And then the last two dice you lock in, it's all based on value. Okay, so if I get my one, two, and three, and then I lock in like a 10 with those last two dice, right? Then the, the bar is set at 10. And what happens is the dice pass around the table, and each other player has to try and be equal, equal or beat your 10, for, for instance, in this example. Um, if they do, they're, they're safe. Um, if they don't, then they have to pull a uh, tentacle, I believe it is. So, again, I'm trying to remember. I was drinking while playing this one. It's probably the only reason I played it. I would, um, when I saw you were playing that, I was jealous and surprised. What did, uh, did you, who did you play with? Chris and Dan? Chris, Dan, and Kevin. What did they think of it? I think they liked it. I okay. guess it was fine. Like, it was cute. Like, I, I didn't hate it. So, basically, what happens is, so, oh, no, I remember now. So, there's a little stack of location cards in the middle of the table, and each one has a point value and then, like, a round event. So, the event could change what you need to roll in order to lock it up or something like that. Um, or give you like a negative. If you are the person who uh, maintained the highest score around the table, so if I kept my 10, um, I would get that location card at the end of the round, and it's worth whatever the points are on it. You'll play through the entire location stack. That's the game, right? And then at the end, whoever has the most points uh, between location stacks, and then there was one type of marble that was worth like three points as well. I forget the discoveries or something like that. The, the silly thing was like, if you pull a tentacle and when marbles drop out, you collect those marbles. So there's insanity marbles, which if you get a certain amount, I believe it was three, three or four marbles, I think. Uh, don't quote me on that. Uh, you become insane. Which means you don't, on your turn, you don't roll the dice um, at all. You can't investigate, obviously, you're insane. Um, so basically, on your turn, you just pull um, tentacles, right? So the game will end, right, if the location if the location deck runs out and the third world eater marble... I don't know what they're... I don't know this theme at all. <laughs> There's like three green marbles that will end the game, right? And if you're, the, if you're insane and you pull a, a tentacle and get that last marble... You win and everyone else loses. Or everyone else... Is if, it because if, you summon Cthulhu? Is that what happens? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> sure. Although I don't know how you summon him if his tentacles are already hanging out the building, right? Well, it's kind of... I mean, yeah, maybe I he's know. just partially in our world Maybe. At that point. He's just chilling. That just unleashes him. Sorry, I forget like the... There was a couple of ways... Like, so if like the third green marble falls on a sane investigator's turn, then they... Everyone loses, right? That makes sense. If it doesn't come out, then you just play most points, right? So if that third green marble doesn't ever come out, I think you just play most points. So don't quote me on any of this. Anyways, it's it's like a little like roll pressure luck kind of lock in dice. There's spell cards that are double sided. Like if you're sane or insane, you can cast the spell for the powers on it on your turn. You're um, describing a lot of things I like. Yeah, sure. I didn't buy it because it was nearly it was fifty something. Yeah, how do you like fifty five dollars? It reminds me of Kerplunk plus Elder Sign. Ah, oh, like, that sounds good though. <laughs> I guess I I don't know I I'd play it I I think it'll get boring though like it was kind of like you know we were keeping the pace going but if you've got people that are just taking a good old time rolling the dice like you're not doing anything when it's not your turn just the playtime on this says thirty to forty five minutes. Sure, you you could play it in that if you're running through it. I guess it all depends on the marble too. So the marble fall, marble drought. Like there's a couple of factors that could could end it quickly. No, it was cute. Like the production quality is pretty nice. I love the cover art for this game. Yeah, the the spells add the the normal smirk and dagger take that elements to it, like steal something or change someone else's die or make them re-roll or do you know that kind of 
in your face kind of stuff. And who doesn't um, love that? Me. But it's fine. It's silly. It's no biotics, but whatever. Oh, jeez. <laughs> their best game you swear by that game it's their best game well their best game maybe but yeah tower of madness uh, silly you... if you like cthulhu you like kerplunk sure did you guys get to play anything bigger or heavier we played that quacksalber uh <gasps> oh can we talk about quacksalber yeah i played it at sure. origins so this was my second play i got to play it as well at CraigCon in ohio must be nice what did you guys think that was all right I like it. I'll probably buy it when it comes out. I think it's good. I think it's pretty enjoyable. Dan, you like push your luck. You like biotics. It's like Eurobiotics. It was a little too long for me. And it's just like, it can, like, I like pressure luck, but it's also like, you can have turns where you do absolutely nothing. Like, did you have a turn where you did absolutely nothing? I had a couple where either I busted, just because I, you know, I busted. and I. But really when did... you bust, you still get to do stuff. You get to do one thing. You get to, like, Instead collect of two. points or, yeah. But collecting points, that's not interesting. <laughs> like, it's like, meh. And the, or buy things. We should say, so Quacksalber is coming out from Pandasaurus? No, it's North Star. North Star, sorry. North Star, it's a, it's a Euro game, I would say, but it's a bag builder, press your luck, where you're buying things to put into your bag, you draw out of your bag, and then there's a bust mechanic, where if you get a total of like more than seven of a certain type like these white ones you bust and then you can buy more th chips or, and or score points and i mean that's pretty much the game but all the chips do fun things they have a special power to them um, where they let you draw more or ignore certain things or score you bonus points or get these little rubies or so they there's some variety there and they all have a and b size there's a lot of variability across the game i thought no i thought it was pretty fun there are definitely there's always the shot that you're just going to draw all of your bad things right off the bat and bust that is always a an option which i guess is a flaw or that's what makes it fun i don't know well, when you push your luck and you get what you want, it always feels good. I don't really push my luck very often in the game, so I had a good time. I play it safe, and it feels good. It's definitely a probability cruncher. Like, do like what's my probability of busting? Do I like those odds? How risky am I? And the last round of the game, I was in last place, and I pulled, I pulled seven. So I was sitting at seven. One more would make me bust, and I decided to just keep going because I was in last place and had nothing to lose. And I got all the way up to thirty-three on the on the the track, which is almost all the way so i just kept pulling and pulling and pulling and just i i managed to to crush it and not bust i busted on my last turn with dan which was sad that did not feel good i was like this is the one time i'm gonna take a risk because i can't win unless i do it and then i did and then i busted and it was and sad. i guess that's what dan is talking about right well you lost you lost because of it yeah but i was gonna lose anyway no the only yeah. reason no because you didn't get to um do the two things you lost I only passed you by like two points, but I got to do both things. Okay. I have no regrets. I no, it was fine. fine. I, I sure. I'd play it. I no need to own this one. It's like I'll yeah. be buying it. I liked it that much. I've played it twice now and I like it. And there's enough variability. There's a lot of variability. I just didn't find the powers all that interesting. They were just like did you read through them? Like the mushroom. Did you get the mushroom or the pumpkins? Nope. Okay, the mushroom's useless. Cool. Let's keep going. Um like they were cool. Like, I, I went heavy on the one that, like, let me pull and choose, which was fine. I just, I don't know. It just, it was a cool mechanic. I just, I don't, it just felt long for what it was. I don't know. I lost interest halfway through it because it was literally the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And you couldn't really strategize. There was, it was a heavily tactical game based on the push your luck thing. 
I don't think it's a bad game. I just don't. I don't it's no Heaven and Ale. Like, Heaven and Ale blows that one out of the water. Yeah, I I mean, I've talked about my opinions of Heaven and Ale. I just don't think I like it as much. I think I like this Quacksalber well, better. you like tactical but, things. You're not heavy into the, the strategical ones. Yeah, it, go ahead. Say, say your sentence, Dan. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I just think that this is a more fun game. I think I probably acknowledge that Heaven and Nail is a better game. And I'm only, I'm only comparing of, it because of the Kennerspiel thing, just for the listeners. Sorry. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Which, did they come out with that? That's already been decided? Quacksalber 1. Quacksalber 1. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that Heaven and Nail is a better, chunky, heavy game. This is definitely a little sillier and a little lighter and a little more random, but I, I just had more fun playing it. I liked it. I mean, it's a bag builder that I actually had fun playing. I feel like so many bag yeah. builders. I'm like, ugh, I'm drawing stuff out of bag, but it's not fun. It was a cool twist on the bag thing. I liked I, it. Was a, it was a neat mechanic. I really liked it, but I, I just thought the game around it was just too long for what the mechanic was. Like, it was just, like, that could have been seven rounds instead of nine or ten, whatever it was, and it would have been fine. So that was, like, your heavy game note? You didn't get to play, like, your Queensdale or whatever or anything like that? Queensdale's a legacy game. on your list. Oh, uh, okay. Did you pick that up? Nope. I don't have room for it in my suitcase. I'll get it over gotcha. here. Hmm. Um... I don't know if I played. He- I didn't play any heavy heavy games. That was probably. No. I played one other slightly heavier game. What was that? It was Speakeasy Blues. It was actually the last one that I played before I left because I was going back to the room to get all my stuff and leave early because I left on Saturday that's, this that's year. That's a medium. Yeah, well, it's heavy compared to freaking Scrabia and Gizmos. It's probably it's the second heaviest or yeah second heaviest one I played. I think it took an hour, but um, and it's like euro feeling it's dice placement mm. so you know it's like prohibition era and you're trying to like amass things cars yachts you can get in with the mob but the dice placement mechanism is really cool like you have these pairs of colored dice you draft the pair of the colors yeah like right? they're they're put out on the the places and then you you can take a pair of them off to open up those spaces then you roll oh, them that's different yeah yeah well i played with tc uh explained it and he was involved in the development of it and when i looked at it yeah. i mean i heard a lot of people say that they were super turned off by this cover because it's a lady smoking on it which i don't know i guess i kind of am turned off by that like there's really no reason for it but um mm-hmm. when i think of like prohibition era and mob and cops and robbers kind of feel like uh, that's not my theme and i didn't think i would like it very much but there's also like jazz and like all the things you think of when you think of a speakeasy so um it uh it worked out i i won so that helped but i like the dice placement part of it like you're kind of building up a tableau and the cards that you're picking out of these different areas have symbols on them and you can what is it called you could do a soiree action where you get the benefits of yeah (laughs) that was my favorite thing to do you you put your die on this little middle spot and you have a soiree and then you have these little symbols on each of the cards in your tableau and you get to do the thing it feels good so i had fun with it i didn't expect to but it it was good Mm -hmm. i haven't played the final i i played it a few times when tc was developing it i haven't seen what the final came out like um but i wasn't completely enamored when we were playtesting it but it it had a couple of cool things nice i think tc did a great job trust me tc did very good i mean the the final product was very i thought it was enjoyable i i wasn't like i said especially when i'm not expecting to like something and then i end up liking it that's usually a good sign tc did help me strategize a little bit so that's probably i owe 
TC a little bit for my win. Mm. Liked it. Looks yeah. good. I like the. I mean, I, I'm not in love with the theme, but it looks good on the table. All right. Well, as we wind down here, are there any last minute Gen Con hot takes about the convention, about some games that you played, any quick cuts, or you can save them for later too. That's fine. We'll be back. I played Warsaw City of Ruins. That's not a new game by any stretch. I think that came out like two Essens ago in Europe as capital it's new on people's minds though it's new because north star brought it over as warsaw city of ruins um that was a pretty solid tile lane game if you like tile lane games it did a couple of of new things uh slightly confusing in the lingo used within the rule book and stuff like that but uh once we got going it was uh it was an enjoyable experience yeah um and speaking of confusing until you get going, uh, played Pococo, which is that peacock trick-taking game where you can't see your own cards. Um, and that was that was intriguing. I, I started out hating it, and then as we started getting into it, I liked it more and more. Um, a couple of things I didn't like about the game, those confidence cards, I just thought were silly. But the whole like betting on each other's hands, how many tricks the other players are going to take but not knowing what you have. And then the, the twist is you you actually play the player to your left hand. So you're kind of betting. So you kind of want to like, yeah, there's a couple of things. Like you want to either, you can either tank your neighbor and bet low on them. Or so like there's, there's a couple of interesting uh, dynamics going on uh, within the game. So uh, a bit of a, a bit of a learning. I It's not like a sit down and deal them out kind of trick taker that, I think most people would be used to as far as when they hear the words trick-taking games. Um, there's definitely a, a little bit of a curve in teaching this one um, because of the uniqueness of not seeing your cards, playing your player to your left, betting on other people. Um, those confidence card things were a little bit confusing at first. But yeah, I thought it was cool. I liked it, actually. It, it did some neat things. I mean, trick-taking has been kind of run around the block, so it was, it was cool to see something different. Don't know that I want to buy it, but I, I, I liked it. Nice. Let's see what else. Nothing. Shaky man. Crisscross. I played Reiner Knizia's Osprey Games uh, Roll and Write, which was cute. Ten bucks. That's where Roll and Write should live. I did finally get to play uh, Steamrollers. Fifty dollars. And moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's that the podcast just good. has like a vendetta against seam rollers. I mean, I didn't like it either, but it's I just... thought the game was fine. I have vendetta against I the price. I didn't think the game was great. I was unimpressed, unenthused. I love that this is how we just fine. end our podcasts. Like we, We're like, oh yeah, we played this. It was great. And then we get to the end and we all start talking about the thing we hated the most. Hey, I did not like Camel Up cards. I'm just going to put that out there since we're doing our I hot takes. I Camel Up cards recently. I, I'd it... rather play Camel Up on the board. Well, it's not as good as the board game, but it's it's a good it's a good uh portable version of it it's too close to the original version i think like i don't know why would i buy this like yeah there's no reason to own both of them i'd say but if you're looking for something portable in like a carry-on or something like that and the betting is a little bit more like obvious i think like i know when i'm losing in that one whereas regular camel up i don't so Mm. i had a play where i'm like i'm definitely losing so i guess i'll just sit here for the next i don't know how long (laughs) but then you had a play where you that won you the game and because you didn't know it was coming out so it's like it's it's camel up it is what it is it's, yeah, it's fun much like regular camel up don't play it with more than four yeah i thought it was interesting how you like got to like put some cards into the middle keep one secret like i thought the the hidden information part of it was was kind of fun it works i just i don't know 
I thought the betting was... I didn't like the betting as much as the original. But. That's my opinion. That's that's ba- the crux of my opinion. I didn't like the betting as much. The card thing was clever. Like, when you, you start out with cards that will move the camels, and then you put yeah. them into different piles. And some of them you know, and some of them you don't know, and some of them you can play in the middle of the game. And that's cool. That's good. I just... Yeah. The betting... I didn't like how only one person could take a camel. Like, a winning camel and a, and a losing camel. Like... Yeah. I didn't like that part of it. Yeah. Like, you bet... you When you bet on something to win, like, that's the only one you can have for win. Well, yeah. Yeah. And if, like, it becomes obvious, it's like, then you're the... You're, you know... Now, I will say there are so many times that I thought that it was obvious and then it turned out not to be so obvious. No, but... nothing is obvious in Camelot. That's the beauty of that game. But, but it was just a bummer that, like, I was the last one to take my winner card. So I had the like, I had to choose between the dead last or the next to dead last card. So I was like, okay, this is... So I just didn't take one at that point, which I didn't like that feeling. Um, but I thought, the, I thought the rest of the game was pretty solid. If you're looking for, like, a quick portable version of it. Tiff, mm. drop it. Might be good. For your board game club drop it drop it's pretty fun i don't love it love it but it's like 22 dollars on amazon and it's a quick and easy dexterity style game noted it's from cosmos <laughs> pretty good got it to play with mom and i went over to i mentioned this before i went over to play with one of my co-workers and their kids and like it was a good it's a good one to have on hand when there's kids around um and welcome to centerville my hot take is that that game is still great welcome to centerville is very very good you guys should play it nice let's end on a positive note we did it all right, everyone. Thank you for joining us for episode 89 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Thank you, Dan, for taking time out of your busy European jet-setting life. And Tiff, thanks for braving the harsh Ohio greenery to join us. <laughs> if anybody wants to find us, the best place to do that is Twitter. Dan, to find you there, they look for... Uh, at League Nonsense or at Scandalous underscore Ned. And Tiff, you are still there. They can look up. I'm at Inept Gamer. You can find now. me at Cinnamon Buns spelled phonetically. Feel free to check us out on BGGG Guild number 2077 or Nonsensical Gamers on Instagram and Facebook and things like that. Thank you all for joining us. Until next time, everyone can say goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.